0: Welcome to our 2021 Revelation Series. We continue to unfold the power of prophecy stated throughout the Holy Word of God from the Old Testament all the way to the last chapter of the Book of Revelation. Our eschatology series is simply a study of the end times. Nobody has to tell you that we live in times of confusion, uncertainty, religious emergence, and certainly unrest. These four elements are needed for the world's people to beg for a powerful and influential leader to bring unity and peace to the entire world. The reality of the human psyche is, and always has been, that people don't care if a leader is immoral, sly, or a bit corrupt. They continually seek candidates who will accept them for who they are, despite their sins. Excuse me, I think they would refer to them as mistakes. Can you imagine how the people will feel when the Antichrist arrives without any spots or blemishes in his outward appearance? A man who not only promises to free the world of confusion, uncertainty, religious differences, and unrest, but will he really do it? Today we're on number 48 in our series. It's called the Two Beasts. This is a topic that is not pleasant to cover for most believers today. Discussing the finite details of Jesus Christ being in control and being the Sovereign One is much easier to explore Then now talking about these two beasts that the book of Revelation is talking about. Reviewing our passage for today, this is out of Revelation chapter 13, verses 1 through 10. And it says, And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads. And on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast, which I saw, was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion, and the dragon gave him power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. They worshipped the dragon because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth, speaking arrogant words and blasphemies. And authority to act for forty-two months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God, to blasphemy the name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, Everyone whose name has not been written in the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with the sword, with the sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. Times of Confusion Closer we get to the Great Tribulation's starting mark, the more this Antichrist works behind the scene to produce global confusion, uncertainty, religious fighting, and unrest. Once the world is on the brink of complete disaster and the people beg for a leader to come and unify their world under a new kind of leadership. The man with the plan steps out from the shadows, and for about three and a half years, he will bring peace and rest to the world in a way that the world has never seen. I know it is difficult for many people to accept, but there are people behind the curtains of man's visual reality manipulating world events every day and have been since the beginning of time. They create economic problems, religious fighting, national wars, natural disasters, media wars, and create dependence of the people with the system. One of the most clever deceptions the enemy has come up with to date is convincing the people that they have power through a political form of government where they believe they have governing power over their elected leaders. Meantime, a group of very powerful decision-makers is running the nation and the world. It is a perfect way to keep the people happy and entertained. The people think that they are all-powerful, but in reality, the we, the people, are being manipulated to make the actual decision-maker's choice. They know that confusion Uncertainty, religious fighting, and unrest are needed to form their new kind of leadership. Is this difficult to believe? Not if you have a good understanding of how power works in our world today. I can assure you that this technique is not new to the world of global governance. Honestly, arguing over this trivia is falling into the hands of the manipulators. Well, all this to say the Antichrist is presently using this technique to set himself up to be the Godhead of the earth, or what the G20 calls the world chancellor. Keep in mind, though, that this GQ leader is only Mr. Nice Guy for three and a half years. The peace and prosperity this leader will offer will be short-lived. His goal, of course, was not to have a deceptive plan of management behind a wall of global happiness. His final plan is actually to come out of the closet for who he really is. The last three and a half years will be a bit different. For the first time in history... He will honestly be dishonest, wicked, malicious, violent, angry, vengeful, and bent on destruction. He will show his true colors. No more hiding behind the skirts of global green-keeping socialists. In God's reality, there is not a socialistic bone in Satan's body. He's a tyrannical monarchy leader through and through. Let's take a look at our critical note. A monarchy is a form of government where all political powers is absolutely or nominally lodged with an individual. As a political entity, the monarchy is the head of state, generally until their death or abdication and is wholly set apart for all other members of the state. Where did the Antichrist get such a form of government? Again, from the hands of God. God is only supportive of one form of government, and that's monarchy. He is the sovereign king in charge of all. He answers to no one. He doesn't use democracy with his angels or children, the saints of old. Democracy is designed to convince the people that the leaders serve the people. Monarchy is the complete opposite. The people are for the sole purpose of serving the king. Satan knows this. Satan wants this. Honestly, Satan is easy to figure out. He always, and I mean always, observes the ways of the great king, God himself, and Jesus Christ being the king of kings, and uses his spiritual formation technique to replicate what he sees working. This is the exact plan he has for the emergent Christian. He wants these followers of Christ to replicate. Be Christ-like, instead of allowing Christ to live himself out through the born-again believer. This has always been the plan of Satan, to be Christ, the Messiah of the world. He works to replicate the ways of Jesus Christ to win over those seeking Jesus Christ. This is why he formed the dynamics behind the post-modern movement of spiritual formation. Christ followers are not true Christians. True Christians are the people filled with the indwelling life of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. No spirit indwelling, no Christian status. That's God's reality. The spiritual formation, who is a follower of Christ, is most likely Satan's most clever Accomplishment to date. Best way for you to discover the style and form of the Antichrist rule during the tribulation is by studying God's original plans and character found in the Holy Word of God. And then Satan takes his sin and mixes all that into it. Then you have yourself an Antichrist. Once the Antichrist gets the entire world aside from the indwelled Christians, to worship him in the first three and a half years for his fake peace, all hell breaks out. Then all will get to see the true colors of this beast. Looking at the two beasts, with that said, we can now start evaluating these two beasts. When Michael the archangel threw the dragon to the ground, it changed the battle's place and objective. The earth is now to become the main battleground and the final scene of Satan's fruitless attempts to control. His kingdom to this point has been just above us. As it states in Ephesians 2, 2, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. In the enemy's first failing attempt to control, he tried to take the kingdom of God. In his second failing attempt, he tried to rule the lower heaven, prince of the air, Now that he has been cast out of the lower heaven, he makes his final move to attempt to set up his headquarters on earth once again. This is a primary move for him. It appears that he has some basic understanding as to God coming to reign on the earth during the 1,000 years of judgment. I don't believe Satan understands the dynamics of the 1,000 years of judgment called the 1,000-year reign of Jesus Christ, but he certainly understands that God has and will continue to fight for the place of the rock, that hill in Jerusalem that is presently being shared by four other religions. We don't know if he, Satan, understands that God will rule and judge from that place of the rock for a thousand years. I doubt that he does. And since nobody, spirit or human, can understand the scriptures without the spirit giving understanding, certainly he cannot read the scriptures with understanding. You can find more about that in 1 Corinthians Chapter 2, verse 14. That is one of the items on my checklist to confirm someone's salvation. Do they have the ability to understand the scriptures? In any case, Satan begins to set the stage for his reign. While God sets the world in place for his grand finale. If you are a God-fearing Jew or Gentile during those days, I have bad news. Satan turns his fury toward any who call themselves a lover of God of Abraham. He will continue to darken the minds of all those who are lovers of the world. James 4.4 4 tells us that. It says, you adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Satan knows that when God said this, he meant this. This simple statement from God outlines a very deceptive plan that the enemy will make use of. All Satan has to do is convince people to enjoy or become friends with the world, and he somehow gets pleasure and victory from this. Once they do, they will be considered an enemy of God. Thus, Satan accomplishes his plan. I think we need to break down some of the details of these two beasts. Even though Satan is a spiritual being unseen by the human eye, at this crossroad he is a person embodied, a human body possessed by Satan. And he will do this throughout his tribulation period. His two principled ministers of destruction are being outlined in Revelation 13. Satan replicates the trinity by his trinity as Satan. Then he has the beast, and then he has the false prophet, which is political, economic, and religious departments of Satan's monarchy. Keep in mind that these are the three elements that cause the world to turn. Satan will empower his two ministers of destruction with all the power and authority he can muster up. The two are nothing more than handheld puppets for Satan. You know, there's so many puzzle descriptions of the Antichrist splattered throughout the Bible. But one of my favorites is 2 Thessalonians 2, verses 3 through 10. And it says, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy comes first. And the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called god or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, displaying himself as being God. Do you not remember that while I was still with you, I was telling you these things? And you know what restrains him now? so that in his time he will be revealed. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Then that lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is, the one whose coming is in accord With the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. I think that passage pretty much puts everything in place in regard to the coming of the Antichrist. Let's talk about Satan's description. Here are the highlights of that description. Refusing to honor the law, love's destruction, has the power to perform miracles higher than all gods, takes the seat on the hill, and worst of all, presents himself as being God. Up to this point, Satan has a fake covenant with Israel when he puts his rumpus in the seat of the holies he, Satan, will announce to all of Israel he was just joking. Then the abomination of desolation that Daniel chapter 11 verse 31 talks about reveals itself. Even Jesus warns of this abomination in Matthew 24 verse 15. Therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken of through Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. Let the reader understand. Have you ever watched a human unleash their anger? I mean truly unleashed. For those of you who have witnessed this, it is an ungodly, ugly thing. In the minds of the angered one, there are no rules. They're lawless. Their goal is to destroy, son of destruction. Demand that the victims fear them and them alone, Godhead, and often show signs of having power that can rarely be contained. I have seen all of that in a human, but the kind of abomination that Satan will display will make human rage seem like a temper tantrum of a five-year-old. He will be so out of control with his rage that it provokes the hand of God. And the Lord saying this, Lord will slay him, the Antichrist, with the breath of his mouth and bring him to an end by the appearance of his coming. That's right, it takes the second coming of Jesus Christ to finally put Satan in his place. What a remarkable journey for John. He goes from having a prison vacation on the island of Patmos to being caught up in heaven, now standing on the sandy shores of the sea of all nations. Chapter 17, he will be in the middle of the wilderness. In chapter 21, he will have a front row ticket, seated seated, on a high mountain, a grandstand view of all the final things of this earth, and the openings of the beginnings of eternity. Wow, I've got to tell you, what a privileged position God gave John. As we continue on in the description of Satan, Chapter 13 of Revelation offers us the most detailed description of the Antichrist. Yes, that's Satan himself. We will take our time going through this chapter. There are many Antichrists, but only one Antichrist with a capital A. Not to confuse you, but these two beasts are the one that form the false prophet as well as the false prophets that have come down through the ages. The basic theology of the power and work of Satan is pretty simple. He cannot do what he wants to do unless he has deceived humans into carrying out his work. On the other hand, God doesn't need humans to do his work. He does it by way of heavenly resources, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, I don't know if you have noticed in your study of Revelation, but you don't see God making use of humans or collaborating with humans before he makes his decisions. He is accomplishing his work through heavenly beings. Satan, on the other hand, humans is all that he has. That is one of the critical elements of understanding Satan. He cannot do much unless God's creation agrees to join him in doing it. He's impotent without the agreements of humans and the permission of God himself. Therefore, his deceptive ways are so radically obvious to true indwelt Christians. Keep in mind, though, that deception does not show favoritism. Christianity, non-Christians, And even indwelled Christians, God shows no favor, nor will Satan. In fact, Satan doesn't care. All he wants is willing vessels for his deception. God told Abraham that he would multiply his seed as the sands of the sea. I don't claim to be a theologian by any stretch of the imagination, but it certainly appears that this seashore could translate out as and Satan stood on the nations of the world. Most Bible scholars support the idea that the beast is the Roman Empire, Europe, and its ruler, regaining its original power. A key prophetic element to keep in mind as we detail Revelation's book is that many of the satanic elements on Christ Jesus during his first coming will be replicated right before the second coming, only with new colors. Satan's not only creative, but there is nothing new under the sun with him. His pattern is easily figured out even by humans by simply studying world history. The prophet Daniel was given the complete course of the times of the Gentiles, the Church Age, in his dream and visions. Revelation 13 deals with what Daniel said would come to pass in the last half of the 70th week. According to Daniel 7.3, it says four beasts came up out of the sea. These four beasts represent the four successive forms of Gentile power. Most likely Babylon, Media Persia, Greece, and Rome. Since political Rome fell in 476 AD, it has been a non-threatening political power but has worked globally to become the most powerful religious force in the world. It's called Catholicism. Once Rome achieved its global religious universalism goal, it moved into the political realm through the church. A perfect camouflage. These are just a few of the thousands of organizations formed by the people of contemporary Rome to gain inroads into the world of globalism. As most know, Rome's country became registered with the United Nations as a religious state less than one generation ago. All of their hard work appeared to pay off. Now let's take a look at the seven miracles of Satan. You know, there's a good reason and there's good evidence that Rome will become a world superpower again. I wouldn't necessarily view in my mind that Rome is that church setting on top of the Seventh Hill. I would see it more as Europe, European Union, EU, but basically Europe as a whole. One thing we can be certain of is the Antichrist will lead it after the rapture. True believers, of course, are not looking for Rome's regeneration or its leader. We are looking for the second coming of our Savior. But if you're an indwelled Christian, keep in mind you'll be raptured out at the front end of the tribulation. The second coming is actually Jesus' second coming to deal with the Antichrist. After this beast comes forth, he will boast of seven primary types of miracles. First of all, he is said to have power, a throne, and authority to make decisions from that throne. He has authority over tribes, tongues, and nations. Three, he will be a political world dictator, not an emergent collaborator. 4. He is a violent man who will rule with terror, primarily the second half of his reign. Number 5. His reign will last for seven years, with forty months of hellish terror for the last half. Number 6. His government will be under ten leaders, kings, but as usual, under his control. Finally, number seven, he will be the world's worst blasphemer of all times, according to Revelation 13.1. This demon-possessed man will be a gifted orator, an intelligent man with great charm and filled with charisma. All Christ's imitations of that will help him attain immense leadership power that will be admired by 90% of the world's population. Those are just the qualities he will hide behind to gain the control he needs to release his vengeance. Once he has control, he will self-release a superhuman power that will birth wickedness never seen by the human eye before. He hates and will even devour his own followers. Right out of John chapter 8 verse 44, it states this, You are of your father the devil and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Do you get it? In order to be of truth, you have to stand in truth. No, you have to stand in truth in order to be of truth. These unbelievers are actually children of the father of lies. And these children of the devil will follow him and be a 100% obedient to him unto their torturous death. Stupid truly is as stupid does. I have always taught that all humans, believers or not, are 100% obedient. That there is not one human being on the face of the earth who is not obedient. The question is to whom are they obedient? God designed us to be obedient children. If you were to use the concept of disobedience, we need to ask the question, Who are we being obedient to? Jesus Christ or Satan? Satan knows this truth and he uses it for his benefit. All of God's children are obedient unto death, either by resisting sin and Satan or by resisting God the Father. He, God, gives us that choice. As it says in Luke sixteen thirteen. Choose this day whom you will serve. Now with that understanding that the dragon, Satan, is the one who gives his beast, Antichrist, his power, his seat, and control of authority, we can begin to look at the horns on this ugly head as previously stated This all started to take place and unfold and unravel in 476 A.D. The Roman Empire, beast, was killed. Although the Roman Empire's descendants were scattered throughout the entire world in different forms of federations, governments. Well, Each of these federations will most likely be a particular continent. There are seven continents on the earth, and that leaves us with three extra superpowers. These federations will later join forces with the revived European Roman Empire, who will have three primary leaders, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Now you have your ten horns. We have many more details to cover just on the topic of these two beasts. We certainly hope that you join us again in number 49 of our series as we reveal the descriptions and the methods of the Antichrist using these two beasts that come out of the sea. In closing, we want you to remember You know that old saying, liar, liar, pants on fire? Well, that's exactly what comes out of the sea. We are getting very, very close to that time when Satan is put in his place once and for all. Satan is the craftiest liar known to the kingdom of God. God considers him the father of lies. He is a specialist of sorts, of causing unbelievers to see the light wind looking at pure darkness. His global leaders will look and sound like quality apostles when in reality they're deceitful workers. They will look like Christians, sound like Christians, walk like Christians, but they will be emergent workers of the Antichrist. Studying the characteristics of these two beasts is absolutely imperative. We understand exactly how these two beasts set up for the second coming of Jesus Christ.